Good evening, everyone. We have some interesting things to discuss this evening. <laughs> I think you're going to hear some, a couple things you haven't heard before, unless you've read uh, this uh, presentation of the Sundarbas. Um, kind of get the, getting to the heart of the matter when it comes to understanding that no one falls from Vaikuntha and the nature of the Lord's transcendental realm and those devotees that attain it and never return from it under any circumstance whatsoever. <laughs> so we're going to go over period, period, explanation point and all that. So it's interesting, if you look at this Anacheda and what, what Jiva Goswami is presenting here is he's presenting first two, two lines of thought from two you know, consecutive verses from Lord Kapila Dave's instructions to his mother Devahuti. The first deals with the fact that the Lord's devotee has it all. The first verse deals specifically with that. There's nothing material and nothing spiritual up to having the same opulences as the Lord himself. The same form as the Lord, if you like. But certainly, everything that he has, there's nothing, there's no distinction. In fact, it takes some discrimination to determine the distinction between at least on the Vaikuntha realm, between Lord Vishnu and the residents of Vaikuntha. Not all of them, but some of them decide to have a form just like the Supreme Lord's Vishnu form. So they have four arms, they have the same, you know, weapons and benedictory, you know, implements, lotus and the conch shell. Uh, so... There's a couple distinguishing factors, but they have the same opulences. So in the material realm, the devotees have the same opulence. And in the spiritual realm, they have the same opulence as the Lord. So this is the first verse of the two that are the evidential, evidentiary verses of this particular Anucheta, this section of uh, the Bhagavat Sandarbha. And the second one, so the first is, if you have it all where you, if you have everything that is available, do you really need to go anywhere else? If you have all the fun and, and waves and palm trees of Hawaii, do you really need to go somewhere else to enjoy those opulences? Since they're there, or the, you know, the, what is it, the Grand Canyon, or wherever you can, anything that you can imagine, if it's all available to, to you where you currently are, there's no real necessity to go somewhere else. That's the point brought out in the first verse by Kapila Dave. And the second verse deals with and if you have all the love in the world, 
where you are, Niall. What in the world would you be thinking? Where else would you need to go? So these two verses together bring the point home. There's no need to go away from Vaikuntha. No one would if they could. And they can because they have complete freedom. But their free will is such, and this is the one distinction that came out in the last discussion, is they have no inclinations left. There's no, there's no more impressions that would draw them into samsara or involvement on the material plane. Those, those are wiped out. Krishna, the commentator, and, and Jiva himself brought out so many examples that there's, there's, it's all burnt up. There's, it's only ashes. That's all that's left. There's no material desires left. There's no impressions of anything that you could possibly want within material existence. And by the way, you already have it all. It's with you. Mama Maya, yeah. My Maya is stored up for them. So if there's anything in Maya they want, well, they can have that too. Why would I hold it back from them? They're, they're, the, they're my dear most. So we're going to take off from there and we're going to look to a little bit of an explanation of the second verse. Uh, but let's start here with a supposition. This is the one we ended on. We'll just start. We can review that and go forward. One may still, however, think that there might be a demon in Vaikuntha. Someone could think that. But we reply that there's no nobody of that nature in Vaikuntha. There's only devotees. There's no non-devotees. And we support that with some evidence from Scripture. Rishavdev says, and this is from the fifth canto, when the living being is covered by tamagun, his mind is subject to result-oriented action. Therefore, the jiva cannot be released from attachment to the body until love dawns for me. Sri Vasudev. So now we bring in the second of the two verses. Let's look closely at this verse by Kapila Dev from the third canto <clears throat> to Devahuti. And this is the main Praman verse of the Anucheda, the section. It's the main evidentiary verse regarding no one's going to leave Vaikuntha. And here's why. Now look carefully at what Kapila Dev is saying here. Nakari chin mat para santo rupe yanti no me nimiso ledehiti ye sam aham priya atma sutascha 
Sakaguru Surido Daivam Istam. Well, this needs to be tear, torn apart a little bit and to be consumed. The English translation, a English translation of the verse. In that abode of unadulterated peace, Santa Rupe, are found only those who know themselves and feel themselves to belong to me entirely. They will never meet with destruction. My unblinking wheel never devours those for whom I am the total beloved. Their very self, son, friend, preceptor, relative, benefactor, and worshipable Lord. Ye shamaham priyam atma sutascha. Sukha guru surido daivam istam. So Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur comments on this verse from the Bhagavatam. And he shows what Kapila Dev is speaking of by looking carefully at the at the words in the second pada of the verse. Those who consider the Lord as Priya. So that's where the verse begins. Yesamaham Priya. Atma sutascha. So he takes the word priya and he says, priya can only refer to Madhurya Lila. Those that have a loving relationship. Uh, as a beloved, looking at the Lord as their beloved, is what's being referred to by the word priya in the verse. Devotees in amorous devotion, Madhurya Ras. Then the verse goes on, priya atma sutascha. Atma are those in Santa Rupa. They're seeing themselves as the same, or the self of myself is the Lord. Santa Rupa. Uh, what does Guru Maharaj say? Uh, beautific vision. Uh, Sutascha. Vatsalya is my son. Sutascha. Saka Guru Suhrido Daivam Istam. Saka, friend, Sakiras. Guru, respectful, Dashiras, servitude. Surhid, bosom friend, Sakiras again. There's so many varieties of Sakiras. Kapil is introducing it again in his verse. Ista, Ista, worshipable de deity, and Daiva, respectful devotion. Again, Dasharas. So here, Kapila Dev is speaking about what a, the, all these five major loving relationships to, with the Lord are 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 touched upon in this verse. So if you have all the opulences, all the pleasure of the material world, all the all the uh, energies of, of of the perfected yogi, and if you have everything as far as the attainments of liberation, 
there's five kinds of liberation that, that some aspire for as far as by could the ghosts, having the same form of the Lord living on the same planet, having his energies, etc. Um, and all this in, adult, in an unadulterated peace, Santa Rupe. A little bit more evidence from the Shruti and the Smriti. First from the Chandagya Upanishad. Drawing his senses within, he does not cause violence to any being, other than in circumstances of mortal danger where scripture may call for appropriate aggression. You can defend yourself. It's okay. Remaining in this condition... Till the moment of death, he attains the spiritual abode. He does not return. He does not return. Twice. <laughs> it's mentioned. Srila Vyas Muni concludes Vedanta Sutra by repeating the words. This is the very end of the Vedanta Sutra. This, this verse is here. There is no return from Vaikuntha, because the scriptures declare this as truth. Shirdbaladeva Vidyabhushan, while commenting on this sutra, which comes at the end of the Vedanta Sutra, the Vedanta Sutras explain the Vedas. They are the, they're the explanation. We don't, we don't spend a lot of time with the Vedanta Sutras, although... It's not a bad thing, but the Bhagavatam is just much more pleasing uh, presentation of the exact same spiritual conclusions and provides the same truths through narrations which, which devotees find very pleasing. So to study the Vedanta Sutra, even Baladev Vidyabhushan's, which I'm sure is wonderful, but I haven't read it yet. Um, so Baladev Vidyabhushan while commenting on this sutra confirms the same by quoting the following mantra from Sandogya Upanishad he leads them to Brahman this is the path of the godly devas that lead to the Lord those who walk on this path do not return to this human life. Surely they do not come back. So a lot of confirmation by looking at, uh, you know, at the Shruti and the Smriti uh, regarding the fact that this this concept of, of falling from Vaikuntha is, is has has no standing. Well, let's assume it might have some standing. So let's tear it apart a little bit more. Let's look at this. Despite such evidence, others may say that such statements only apply to those who have not been in material existence. However, Nichasiddhas are ignorant of material miseries and subject to fall down. One who burns his tongue on hot milk will never, will even blow on buttermilk, buttermilk before drinking. <laughs> Understand the point being made here. That you really need to experience the burnt tongue to to have a com 
a complete realization. So once you have that realization and somebody hands you a, even buttermilk, you might blow on it like, I don't want to burn my tongue again. So, um, And even Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu seems to say, what? Paditam mam visame bhuvamuna. Why have I fallen into this ocean of birth and death? So how do we sort this out? He seems to be saying, you're falling. I fell. Why did I come here? So let's look at some arguments and some responses. However, even if one follows the method of analysis recommended above and concludes that the subject of the section is that those who attain Vaikuntha from the material world never again fall, this does not prove that eternal associates fall. On the contrary, the second verse spoken by Sri Kapila clearly states that Krishna's devotees are never bereft of opulence. Jiva's intention in quoting it is to say that they never fall. Argument and response. If the material creation is a naughty, you can't trace out the beginning of the material creation. It's not like one day the Supreme got up and said, let me make a material world. There was always a material world. That's hard for us in material existence to wrap our little brain around, this concept of a naughty. So we're going to go into a naughty a little bit because it is a little difficult to to comprehend the full meaning that there was always a material creation. And then how do we reconcile this concept of a naughty with liberation and with the fact that no one falls? This becomes a bit of, di- of a dilemma from our viewpoint, from where we're coming from. Everything we're used to experiencing has a beginning. It started some point in time. I wasn't here and now I am. Where did I come from? I don't know, but I'm here. I know that much. I've exp- I'm experiencing that much. I exist. So, well, did I, was there a time I did not exist? There's no empiric way for me to answer that question. It's not available to me. My senses will not allow an answer to that question. I wasn't here, and now I am. Was I always here? There's only one answer to the question, and it has to come from Scripture. Never was there a time when you did not exist, nor I, nor all these kings, nor in the future will any of us cease to be. If you're not willing to accept that, you're not going to be able to answer the question. Your senses cannot answer that question. It's not possible. So, let's look at 
these and walk through a few arguments and, and see where it takes us. But if the material creation is a naughty, if it is a naughty, if, it, if it's always been here, there must be a method of refilling the material universe to adjust for all those who attain liberation. That's a valid point, isn't it? If the material, if it's a naughty, if it's always been here, then it's the material aspect of the Lord's creation should be empty by now of souls. <laughs> There's no beginning. It's infinite. History is infinite going backwards. So everybody should be liberated by now. How do you explain that? Wait, am I getting, I'm getting lost. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> Unlimited means, let's look at it in this way. Unlimited means that when some are removed, an unlimited number still remain. Okay? Bear with us. Even in mathematics, infinity minus infinity equals infinity. Not zero. There are an infinite number of points on a line. We can accept that. It's a logical supposition. Or it's a logical fact. On the line, there's unlimited, it's unlimited points. Well, if I cut the line in half, the two lines remaining have an unlimited number of points. If this line is divided into two, say AC and CD, AC, CD, each line still contains an unlimited number of points. Plus the logic backfires. Because they use this logic, well, the universe would be empty. Well, the logic backfires if time is beginningless. No, we can't trace out the beginning of time. Anadi, then by now, all the Nichisiddhas would have fallen and returned to Vaikuntha with no virgin Nichisiddhas left to fall. Because <laughs> that's their argument. Their argument is, well, they fall to fill up the material universe. Well, by now, they'd all fallen. In other words, their logic is the people make this argument that those people that experience material existence can attain liberation because they've been here, done this, and are convinced that they don't want anything to do with samsara. But the people that are, are niche siddha, they've always been liberated, they could possibly fall down because they have not experienced it yet. They might drink hot milk, 
They wouldn't be cautious. Let me see what it's like in the material world. How would they even know about the material world? Well, they have no impressions. But that, I'm, again, we're going through arguments that people can make. So the point is, the reverse applies. The reverse applies. If all everyone that's nitya liber I mean, conditioned in material life, goes to the spiritual world, the material universe would be empty. Well, therefore, to fill up the material universe, we take the eternally liberated souls, the people that God made to be there all the time, nitya-siddhas, and they get to come down and become conditioned. Well, what when they've all done that? Because time's still a naughty. So the logic does not play out. Sri Sanatan Goswami quotes Vajra Maharaja's question to the sage Markandeya. This is from the Vishnu Dhammatara Purana. O Brahmana, this is a question presented to Markandeya. Because time has no beginning, therefore, even if therefore, even if only one person achieved liberation in each of the bygone kalpas, wouldn't the world be empty by now? It's a logical, I mean, time's beginningless. Even if one, only one person was, even if Brahma, who does get liberated, is the only one in a material manifestation, well, by now, everyone would have been Brahma and been limited. So this is Mark and Dea's answer is as follows. When someone is liberated, the Supreme Lord who possesses unlimited potency, brings forth Sargena, another jiva, and thus always keeps the world full. Those beings who achieve Brahma-loka become liberated along with Brahma. Then in the next cycle of creation, Mahakalpa, Maha, all the kalpas together, 1,000. So Mahakalpa, that would be Brahma's entire life, the Lord emits Srijyante, similar beings. Material nature and the living beings should be understood to be beginningless. Their transformations and the gunas of matter are products of material nature. Well, that just sounds like some fancy talk. We're not saying that they're created. We're saying... But they just appear. They just appear. The importance of Markandeya's response above is Achinta Shakti, the Lord's inconceivable potency. Okay, we can buy that. It's something beyond our comprehension. We can't wrap our mind about, around it. Let's go on, because there is some explanation here. <laughs> so now we're saying the rishis are cheating us yeah. alright let's go on from this statement however a doubt may raise and we have heard the doubt if living beings are a naughty 
Why does Mark and Dei use the term Sargena? Brings forth other jivas. Why does he use that word? It's a good question. Why does he? Sanatan Goswami poses the following response. Answers that there are unlimited dormant living beings which the Lord activates as he desires. The word sarga or creation does not mean producing new living beings. This Siddhanta is accepted by all Vaishnavas. This is supported by secondary word meaning by a secondary word meaning accepted in context of the understand, understanding the nature of the jiva. Thus, to create is superseded by to emit. Well, you're thinking this is still this is still cheating. Okay. So, we have to get beyond that. We have to get beyond that by two things. First, it's the Lord's inconceivable potency. And second, it's not that he created the living entities. They're always in, they're all him. They're, they're all his energy. What's the wording here? He does not produce new living beings. They're dormant within him. They're, they're, they're part of his, of his nature. So, question. So, the conclusion is that nobody, whether Nichasiddha or Sadhnasiddha, ever falls for Vaikuntha. The question that naturally follows is, so then, where do we come from? So, Krishna answers in the Bhagavad Gita. Know that Prakriti, or the material energy, and Purusha, or the conscious being, are both without beginning. Know, however, that the modifications in the gunas are produced from Prakriti. Objection. But there are verses in Srimad Bhagavatam which clearly state that the living being was with the Lord and then fell down, such as... This is from the, who is speaking now? Is this... Uh... Yeah, this is commentary, and then he's going to use a verse to to prove the point here. Do you remember, and this is from the fourth canto, do you remember yourself from your previous state when you were with your friend, na friend named Unknown? You left me seeking material acquisition being attached to worldly sense pleasure, O noble one, you and I are two swans, two friends, who have been living together in the Manasa Lake for many thousands of years, Sahasra Parivatsaran, far from our original home. So this is this is this is a discussion from the Bhagavatam that would lead one to believe that what's being presented, well, you were with me in the spiritual realm and you came to the material realm. Certainly sounds like that upon the first reading, does it not? Well, let's look closely at the verse and see what's really being said there. 
First of all, there is no mention of falling from Vaikuntha in these verses. The commentaries of previous Acharyas Acharya's clearly indicate that these verses refer to the jiva residing with Mahavishnu during the total annihilation. So that's what the Lord's referring to. So they're, in, within him. they're within him. Dormant. Dormant. Mm-hmm. During that dormant period. And what words bring it out? What what's the what's the little you know hint? The hint? Sahasra Parivatsaran. Sahasra, equivalent of a thousand cycles of the yugas. For a thousand cycles confirms this fact, since the period of annihilation is equal to a thousand cycles of the four yugas. Giving up my company means taking birth in the next cycle of creation. Narada Muni told the story of Paranjan to King Prachinibarhi ex- explicitly as an allegory, so it should not be taken literally. It is indirect expression, paroksha, as stated by Narada himself. He directly states, O King Barhishman, I have shown you these spiritual truths in an indirect manner, through allegory, because Bhagavan, the source of the cosmos, is fond of indirect expressions. In this verse, the word parokshena, in an indirect manner, and parokshapriya, fond of indirect expression, must be noted. Are you ready for a fresh look at this from a whole other perspective? <laughs> so we've looked at it from a, you know, quoting from scripture and how we have to we have to be able to see things in proper perspective. So now the commentator takes an entirely different approach. He's not done with this with this subject quite yet. Here a fresh analysis from another angle. Here's a fresh analysis from another angle for those not fully exposed to the full breadth of the Srimad Bhagavatam's views as revealed by Srila Jiva Goswami. So if you're if you're not completely schooled in the Sandarbhas of Jiva, let me give you a quick refresher course so that you can you can look at this from another angle of vision. Jiva Goswami, from the beginning of the Sandarbha, he talks about truth. How do we arrive at truth? What can we depend on as truthfulness? And although there's ten items that could be discussed, he said, let's just put it into three basic categories. If there's a truth, there has to be evidence to support the truth. Go to any courtroom. Where's the evidence? 
show me, you know. And he says, so if we look to be able to give a confirmation to what's put forth by someone as truth, we can look to three basic confirmations or evidences. Of course, we have one that's been with us since time immemorial. It's these senses. We can smell the truth, we can hear the truth, we can see the truth, we can taste the truth, we can feel the truth. We have knowledge-acquiring senses. That's one way of getting at a truth. We can rely on somebody who's gone beyond the limitations of the senses and experienced a, a, a level of truth beyond what's available through sensory perception. That requires a leap of faith. Adash Radha. Well, that's the first thing of spiritual life. You're going to have to take that leap to get beyond and, and, and try to have some experience of the truth that lie beyond the senses like, is there a God? Did I just pop out of a womb and when it's over, that's, I'm done and it's all over? When I die, there's, there's nothing to be, there's no more of me. I'm done, finished. I came from nothing. I'll end up as nothing. So, what is that? Eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> so, for that, we need a little faith, and we need to be able to accept Shastra. And then we can get into a whole discussion of Shastra, and different lineages, and different ways of looking for the truth, and different cultures, and how they, how they perceive the truth, and what Shastra's they accept and how they're how the the visionaries of those doctrines arrived at the truth we think we have a pretty good one here with with the vedas and and uh, you know gaudiya vedanta philosophy uh, we're pretty content with its answering all our questions that's why we're sitting here hearing following a process and a practice whereby we're developing a finer discrimination, which brings us to the third way of arriving at knowledge. So we have the senses. We have having a little bit of faith that God himself can speak to man directly and that those instructions from God can be handed down and made available to us, and we can benefit from them. And we can put faith in them, and the more we do that through improper association, 
we can we can just as those sages that are giving us those truths directly experience them ourselves. God could whisper in our ear, and He could do a lot more than that. And we should expect that and desire that and and want to have a confirmation of all that we're all that we're hearing about our true self we want to experience. And guess what? We're supposed to. Shradas Tatasadu Sangotha Bhajana Kriya. Tato Nartha Nivritishat, Tato Nista Ruchi Stata. Ruchi comes. Nista, steadiness in spiritual life. Ruchi, taste. Taste beyond, some taste beyond what the sensual experience has given us for our whole existence that we can remember, at least in this body, everything that's given us pleasure or pain has come through the senses. Now all of a sudden we're in a practice and there's something coming that's that's beyond the senses. There's a taste, a spiritual taste there, ruchi. So once we get get steady and we get to this taste, and then we can start actually conceiving of of all the everything that Krishna is, a sakti. It's what to speak of bhava and prema. I mean, you know. Anyway, we get there. We do that. We we're meant to do that. That is the process of, of unalloyed devotional service. But to get there, we have to take care of making sure that where we put our faith, we're putting that faith properly. So association is so important because in good association, we're able to utilize that third method of acquiring and having knowledge. And that is we can infer the proper meaning of what the sadhus and the scriptures are relaying to us. We have to be able to do that. Otherwise, we could fall from Vaikuntha. Otherwise, we could say it's better to be my own guru. Why not just... I got a brain. I can read the... Bible, I could read the Veda. What do I need somebody to explain it to me for? What do they have to offer? Whereas throughout the Veda that I'm reading and throughout the Bible, I'm being told again and again, you need all the help you can get. And when somebody hands, puts out a helping hand, don't brush it away. So another way of looking at things three primary pramanas. The scriptures themselves, our senses, and proper inference. So now we're going to walk through a couple proper inferences because we can see, well, somebody could have an improper inference and think that you would actually fall from Vaikuntha. You could come up with some harebrained idea that the material world's going to empty out. Or it's a problem. It's a problem. <laughs> there should be nobody here. So from Subda, from transcendental sound vibration, Subda Brahman, everything there 
is corroborates the fact that no one falls from the spiritual realm. And really, logic and sensual perception are not going to answer this question. We we have to, we're going to have to accept the fact that that we don't fall. Let's start there. But we can use logic to completely develop firm faith in the statement of Shastra. Pratyaksha sense perception has no validity in ascertainment of transcendental matters. That's an important point. If you really think about it, your senses can't get you there at all. They have nothing to offer when it comes to transcendental subject matters. Nothing. At all. No matter how you got 2020 vision, you're not going to see God. You know, it doesn't matter. The material senses have nothing to offer us when it comes to entering into the world of transcendence. From the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Rupa Goswami states the following One who is expert in logic, argument, and the revealed scriptures, who has unflinching determination and firm faith in Krishna, is the person most eligible to achieve bhakti. And Jiva Goswami goes on, on to comment on this verse and the term yukti that it contains as follows. Appropriate logic is that which is used to reach the proper conclusion on the strength of understanding prior and subsequent statements of Shastra. Dry logic or in other words, logic devoid of such truth visioning should be rejected. We'll end with an explanation of Shastric statements and how to use that logic properly. So we're going to find in Shastra, in the scriptures, a Purusheya, in fact, in the Upanishads themselves, some statements about Chaturmasya. One, of, one who observes the vow of Chaturmasya attains imperishable merit. Imperishable merit. Another one, just as the results of material action do not endure, so are the results attained in heaven by the performance of good deeds. Naturally, both of these statements cannot be absolute. Observing religious vows like Chaturmasya Masya will, will get you to heaven. But then the other statement is there, no matter what you what you do, and no matter the fact that you attain heaven, it's not eternal. So which statement is right? The one that says, if I follow Chaturmasya, I'm going to have 
imperishable merit. It's going to stay with me forever. Does this carry the same weight as the Praman verse, the first Praman verse of this Anucheda? Wherein Krishna says, Kapila Dev says to his mother that I give my devotees everything. They don't even have to endeavor for it. They become a devotee and I open an unlimited bank account with all material merit, all material acquisition, all material enjoyment. They can have at any time, in any circumstance. They can have all mystic cities. They can attain everything that's available in Vaikuntha. All that's just there. They don't want any of it. That's the nature of my devotees. They have no desire for any of it, but they have it all. Does that statement by Kapila Des carry the same weight as this statement of Chaturmasya performing an action of karma kanda and getting imperishable merit? When there's other statements that even getting the results of Chaturmasya and going to the heavenly planet, it doesn't endure. Naturally, both statements are not absolute. Therefore, the secondary meaning must be applied to the first statement for a reconciliation. The intent of the statement is to inspire those in material identification to observe the religious ceremony of Chaturmasya. Such action may place them in contact with a living sage and be graced by pure knowledge. Now then, <laughs> get imperishable merit, as Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita. O chastiser of the enter, enemy, better than the sacrifice of material possessions is the sacrifice of knowledge, O Partha. All actions attain completion in transcendental knowledge. So they observe Chaturmasya, they go to the holy places or whatever you do, and you meet a sage and... You drink Samarasa. You drink... No. <laughs> you meet a sage and... And you get some transcendental knowledge. All, everything is perfected if it ends in transcendental knowledge. Do not, in fact, Krishna even goes on to tell Arjuna, don't unsettle the minds of the spiritually unaware who are attached to fruitive actions. Let them do their chatamasya. A person of wisdom, while attentively engaged in action, should engage the materially attached in all manner of action. It's good for them to do their karmakanda action. <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll stop there. Are there any questions? I was just wondering without uh, such Aaron's uh, investment in really explaining this, was there the people in the past that thought you could fall from Vaikuntha? Is that just a modern phenomenon? I mean, he's going through all of these arguments because No, of course. No, it's already brought up when you look at when you look back to the discussion of Mark and Dea. I mean, 
It's not that this 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 point has not come up before. It's just come up recently again because a current sadhu decided to use a preaching strategy to capture the Western mindset and not not put them at at dis ease because of their cultural religious backgrounds. We can accept all we fall from grace. That's all we learned. That's what we learned from that tradition. So best we 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 make them feel comfortable in their tradition, engage them in the process, or at least that's my feeling. But whatever the sadhu does, that we may or may not understand. But the fact of the matter is, he utilized a strategy that that would lead one to believe that you fell from Vaikuntha. And hope that they would engage for some time. Hope they he, they would follow his instructions in his books and read and develop Shastra Yukta. That's what the point is. And in the meantime, not behave in such a way that you fall down. Yeah. <laughs> right. Make offenses to the Vaishnavas. Because we're a very and the, the tradition, the the religious tradition, you know. Christianity is very much rule-oriented. Prabhupada jumped right on that. Okay, let's start there. Let's get 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 out of the mud and the muck of of uh, you know Tama and Rajagun. It's a good place to start. Then the mind will clarify, clarify, and you can use it to study the scriptures. Instead, sometimes, you know, Western mind, well, oh, I have such a clear mind now. How can we make more money? How can we make more men? How can we build more time? You know, we have to be careful. It's, it's, it's time to boil the milk. And where did the, when, when does that start, this milk boiling? Well, we have to at least individually seek out that sangha that, that, that encourages that milk boiling. If we want... Otherwise, we can we can dilly dally around. That's fine. It's fine. Go to kirtan parties for the rest of our life. It's okay, but it's the rest of this life, and maybe another couple along. I mean, because if you have misconceptions, then you you propagate those misconceptions, and you develop. You know, I don't want to get into a whole thing, but the point is, we're meant to develop. A solid foundation of spiritual knowledge and some bandhagyans from which we can elevate ourselves spiritually. And we're meant to associate with those people that can pull us up, not that make us look at things in in a way that's detrimental to our spiritual growth. And that's all I got to say about that. Sounds good to me. Thank you so much for your association. Thank you.